ethics was the word of the week at the state capitol as the General Assembly returned for the first week of its fall veto session Monday, the same day news broke of the arrest of a state lawmaker on bribery charges. As the dark cloud of federal investigative activity thickened and FBI documents revealed that an unnamed state senator was cooperating with the feds and wearing a wire, the legislature still found time to move a few proposals forward. Those include a bill allowing student-athletes to be paid for the use of their likeness, a pension consolidation measure, and a pair of bills taking aim at the use of vaping and tobacco products. We'll discuss all of that and more on this week's episode of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, the weekly podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Jerry Nowicki, coming to you from the basement of the state capitol, where the legislature just finished its first week of fall veto session amid much intrigue that involved an arrest and resignation of a state representative and the revelation that a state senator has been working with the FBI. Peter Hancock is in Chicago to cover a special investigative committee that since has been canceled due to the resignation of that aforementioned representative, and Rebecca Anzell is working on another story, which you should be able to read at CapitalNewsIllinois.com soon. So I'm joined by Sam Dunclaw from NPR Illinois. How are you today, Sam? Hey, I'm good, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So we're going to start with Monday's bombshell. Uh, As veto session kicked off, Representative Luis Arroyo of Chicago was arrested on bribery charges. We learned that Monday. Uh, He was arrested Friday. Uh, We should note that he resigned this morning. He announced that about 11 a.m. just before an investigative committee on the matter was set to kick off. So that's kind of why Peter's up in Chicago uh, without anything to cover. Anyway, Sam, can you tell us a little bit more about what led to that and what, would, what it was like at the Capitol when it happened? So uh, let's start with uh, Luis Arroyo. Uh, he's a representative um, from the Chicagoland area. He's also uh, a, a committee uh, or a ward committeeman um, up in Chicago as well. So he's somewhat connected. He's been a uh, a politician here at the state house uh, since 2006, and he was uh, arrested um, for allegedly attempting to bribe a sitting state senator. Um, uh, he was attempting to bribe this senator $2,500 a month for the next 12 months or so, when the uh, according to the complaint that was issued by the FBI, in exchange for that senator being the uh, Senate sponsor of a bill regarding a sweepstakes legislation, sweepstakes. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, it's a, a form of gambling machine. It's kind of like the video poker uh, machines that you see um, all around the state uh, nowadays, uh, but one that is sort of regulated in a somewhat of a gray area. So um, that is the extent of the allegations against uh, Representative Arroyo. He had been arrested, and uh, right away, um, House Leader Jim Durkin calls a press conference earlier this week and had asked uh, Representative Arroyo to resign by the close of business that day, and I believe that that was Monday. Um, And since then, House Speaker Michael Madigan had issued a statement saying um, the House was going to begin uh, the special investigative process to remove Representative Arroyo from office if he did not voluntarily resign. Um, There was quite a bit of buzz about that all throughout the Capitol. Jerry, you and your colleagues and we here at NPR Illinois were covering that pretty extensively throughout the week. You could say it almost overshadowed most of what was going on during veto session. 
until what had happened uh, just a few hours ago, as we have been taping this, uh, Representative Arroyo uh, put his resignation letter forward, um, had, had thanked his colleagues for his time, and even went so far as to say, I didn't want uh, there to be a difficult vote um, if the House had been forced to vote on uh, expelling me from the chamber. Right. Um, and, and by all accounts, it didn't seem like it was going to be a very difficult vote for no, most people. And we, we still are sort of trying to wrap our heads around uh, what exactly uh, was meant and why that was included. But the, the other element of this is that uh, Arroyo had been charged only because uh, the alleged incident had been captured by that state senator who was wearing a wire for the FBI. The, uh, the the senator is unnamed so far, but uh, there are publications in the state, the Chicago uh, Tribune and the Sun-Times, who have identified that state senator as uh, Terry Link, a Democrat from Vernon Hills. Uh, he has vehemently denied that allegation. Uh, senator Link uh, has been uh, on gambling legislation in the past. He's a longtime uh, state house denizen. Um, but some of the elements of the complaint uh, uh, that the FBI had issued had sort of led some people to point to State Senator Link as uh, the unnamed senator. But anyway, that cooperating senator had been embroiled in his own uh, criminal complaint from the FBI um, regarding income taxes. Uh, and he was a cooperating witness with them in order to get his own sentence reduced. So you have Arroyo being arrested on this. Uh, you have the only reason that he was caught was because of being caught on, on a wire. And what overshadowed much of what was going on was now everybody under the Capitol, both in the House and in the Senate, are worried that uh, they might have themselves been caught on a wiretap. Right. And so that Senator Terry Link, ironically, he sits on the Legislative Ethics Commission, and Republicans from the House have called for him to resign that post um, in light of all of this. You know, he's, like you said, he's denied it vehemently, so we'll see. Um, but speaking of ethics, there's been a lot of proposals, a lot of press conferences following that, the latest announcement, which is on top of a couple of other investigations, seems like endless other investigations of lobbyists. Uh, Senator Tom Cullerton has been charged or has been indicted um, on counts of uh, what exactly were Cullerton's counts? Uh, he had been uh, enmeshed in uh, a ghost payroll scheme with a, a union that he had represented um, and that had done some work for in the past. Uh, so, so the feds were stinging him on that, essentially. Right. And Senator Sandoval's had offices raided. Uh, ComEd has been uh, the subject of several raids there, the energy company. So what are some of the things that came out from this? I covered uh, Senator Tony, or Representative Tony McCombie uh, wants an ethics task force. Uh, they, the Republicans and one Democrat uh, had a press conference about that. They say, you know, we need to somehow restore the public's trust in, in the state house and state government, and we just can't do that uh, without greater ethical safeguards. So, you know, task force, they study the issue. They tell you, you know, how to better enforce ethics and whatnot. But you never know how much teeth they're actually going to have. Um, but Sue Rezin, uh, a Republican senator from Morris, she said in 2012 she wanted to sponsor something similar, but it, it went nowhere. She says that these headlines hopefully will help push it over the edge. Um, and at that same press conference, Representative Grant Worley talked about fine enhancements for senators or representatives that use their public office and accept bribes and, and several other things. He just wants that to be part of a broader conversation. Uh, what are some of the other uh, bills that have been put forward in light of these ethical lapses? 
Uh, well, uh, if I can speak just uh, for a moment to that that Grant Worley bill um, getting fine enhancement, the, the House Republicans would want to raise fines for things like bribery and some of these other um, ethical lapses in judgment, shall we say, that these state representatives and senators have been accused of doing up to a million dollars, raising that fine up to a million dollars in some cases. Um, I had spoken afterwards to um, uh, State Representative Mark Batnick, who was co-sponsor on this legislation, and uh, I had asked him to sort of point blank, you know, who who's going to enforce a million dollar fine if uh, a proposal like this were to be proposed? And he had simply said, well, I certainly wouldn't want to be accused of the crime then. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, again, they said that's kind of a launching point, uh, and the task force is supposed to take all these proposals in. Uh, and you know, sort of while we're on the subject, uh, you had asked about some of the other ethical um, attempts that uh, have been uh, thrown out there uh, this week in order to address some of the things legislatively. Uh, the Senate GOP wants to increase the power of the inspector general. And for those of you that don't know, the state legislature in Illinois has a legislative inspector general that is, believe it or not, supposed to take over and investigate any allegations of wrongdoing in a proper channel of uh, anything that goes on between, if, if it's there's a state representative or a senator or whoever is involved, the legislative inspector general is supposed to sort of take point on these things. But legislative inspector general uh, Carol Pope has said repeatedly that she can't issue a subpoena. She can't really do anything in terms of a formal investigation until it is approved by the legislature itself. And that has been compared to the fox guarding the hen house. Right. Uh, at the same time, State Representative David McSweeney uh, also wants to add time uh, to any sentence of, of anybody who's convicted of, uh, of these um, uh, ethical wrongdoings. Right. We'll see where any of these bills go. We'll see if leadership allows them to move forward. It, you know, you never know, like Senator Rezin said, uh, with the added headlines uh, on all of this stuff, it probably gives them a better chance to pass than they would have had in other general assemblies. Anyway, despite these ethical clouds and the intrigue under the dome, uh, the General Assembly was able to advance some legislation. You and I have been pretty heavily covering uh, Hillside Democratic Rep Chris Welch's bill to allow student-athletes to profit from their name and likeness. That bill passed the House with a fairly significant bipartisan majority, so it'll head to the Senate, and Governor Pritzker has, of course, said he would sign it. There have been a lot of press conferences on this in recent days as well. Sam, I know you've been covering that along with me. What's the latest there? I know the NCAA had a statement saying they were planning to make rule changes, but as Representative Welch said, that's more of a PR stunt. It's just a statement that we're going to go in that direction. It's not legislation. It's not written into law like this Illinois law would be should it pass both chambers and get a signature. You know, you can read what the NCAA did this week as a sincere step moving forward. They recognize that places like Illinois, like California, even before us, um, are moving forward with legislation that would allow uh, college athletes to benefit from the use of their name and likeness. You're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry that has been created around college sports, and so the argument follows the students should be able to be uh, making some money or some deals off endorsements just like um, everybody else. But Or you could also read uh, what the NCAA uh, had done as just a PR stunt like Representative Welch has accused them of doing. The thing about that statement, though, is that they had said, yes, we are open to uh, expanding you know, or opening up, I should say, the ability for students to be able to benefit from their likeness so long as it follows the collegiate model as in a, a spirit of amateurism that has always inhabited the NCAA. 
If I can interrupt you there, I think Representative Reich had a great point on that. When some of the Republicans, even a Democratic lawmaker, said, you know, this is going to redefine amateur athletics. It's going to take the academic spirit out of college athletics. And Representative Reich said, listen, if you're going to Alabama to play quarterback, you're going to Alabama to learn how to play quarterback. Let's not put a veil over this. College sports are already college sports. It's basically a farm system for the pros. They're already uncompensated for basically being in this farm system and to tell them you can't make money on the side for you know selling autographs or whatever at your local car dealership is a little bit crazy mm-hmm. yeah and and that's been the the argument that's been made either way but again there are those who still hold that the spirit of amateurism is what differentiates college sports from the pros but if the whole idea is that the entire system is farming these people out, in many cases, to the pros, may as well be able to, uh, to, to benefit in one way or the other. Now, these, a lot of these students are getting very generous scholarships from uh, their, uh, their native institutions. Uh, but at the same time, there are still plenty of expenses and other things like that that a college athlete can run into. And on top of that, again, the, the argument has been made that, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. There are people who have made their careers, who have made their fortunes on these kids running a football, kicking a ball, uh, going to bat, etc. And so shouldn't everybody get a piece of the pie? Right. And so there, there were also some questions about would large schools, bigger media markets have a better recruiting advantage? Some argued they already do. And Representative Welch said, you know, this opens the opportunity for entire teams to get endorsements, not just the bigger name players. The other important thing to note on this is that the bill wouldn't take effect until 2023, so it gives the NCAA time, some time to work, and as Welch said, it puts some pressure on them. And this is a duplicate, basically, of a California law that has already passed, and uh, Representative Welch said it needs to put Illinois on the same uh, recruiting path as California to have this, uh, you know, as something you could bring to the table in negotiations when you're recruiting. Another issue we've both been covering is ethylene oxide. That's a known cancer-causing carcinogenic gas. And there was a pair of measures uh, in the House Energy and Environment Committee, um, one from Republican leader Jim Durkin and one from Rita Mayfield of Lake County. And Durkin's bill failed in the committee. Uh, Mayfield's bill advanced, and that kind of kicked off a partisan split that I did not see coming on this issue, uh, considering there's been so much uh, kind of unified opposition to this gas uh, because of its cancer-causing components. In the Willowbrook area, uh, Sterigenics was the plant there, and there was increased cancer rates documented in that area. Um, and there's also a plant in Lake County. Sam, what do you have to say about that? That uh, that plant in Lake County, uh, specifically um, Medline Industries, are the people who uh, run that plant. They had been down here at the Capitol this week lobbying uh, against Rita Mayfield's bill, um, a bill that would essentially require them and other companies that use this gas ethylene oxide, which, by the way, is used in medical sterilization of equipment. Um, and there are a number of other uses, uh, industrially speaking, that this gas is used in. Uh, Anybody who's using that would be forced to move to a sparsely populated rural area. There are a number of those in the state, um, but most of these places that are using this chemical are located in the Chicago region. And so Medline and others have made the argument that if this legislation were to be signed into law, it would effectively close their business. Uh, A bunch of people would be thrown out of work. 
It could also lead to a medical supply shortage is what the industry is saying. And there were two other bills that had passed regarding ethylene oxide in late May, early June that would drastically limit what you're allowed to output from these facilities. And the industry is saying, you know, allow them to take effect before you add any regulations on there that could close these places and create uh, shortages of medical supplies that are, are needed. And there's some some supplies that they say the FDA only allows to be sterilized by ethylene oxide, and there's really no alternatives. And, the, and you know, and air studies that have been done around places like sterogenics, which um, you and others have discussed uh, in the past, and that is now a plant that used ethylene oxide that is closed now. Uh, ambient air tests in the past had shown that these places were emitting something like 13,000 pounds of ethylene oxide a year, and the legislation that was passed by the General Assembly limits that to almost zero. I mean, this Rita Mayfield bill that we're talking about now uh, would limit ethylene oxide um, errant emissions to just 30 pounds a year, right. 13,000 all the way down to 30. And so the, yeah, you're right. The, the effects of that have not yet taken place. But in my opinion, I mean, I think uh, Representative Jim Durkin is really sort of in the fight for his life on this one. He has a lot of opposition coming from his district, particularly that are criticizing him for not moving swiftly enough on this uh, for now. And so late in the game playing politics on this bill, uh, when he had sort of been the point person, he and, and uh, Representative uh, John Curran had been uh, point persons on this in the past. And now sort of the Democrats come in and, and, and undercut him. It, it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens here. But as far as we know, the governor supports what has been done currently. Further restrictions will certainly have to be talked about. Right. And Durkin's bill, uh, which failed because Democrats all voted present on it in the committee, uh, it would have allowed home rule municipalities to ban the emissions of of that from uh, sterilization facilities in their communities. But only 200 of like 1,200 uh, municipalities in Illinois are home rules. So there'd be large swaths that would not have the uh, power under his bill uh, to take that action. So we're moving along to a couple other public health-related bills. Uh, Senator Terry Link, who may or may not be wearing a wire, was able to pass a bill out of the Senate um, that would loop electronic cigarettes into the Smoke-Free Illinois Act, effectively banning their use inside public buildings or within 15 feet of the entrance of a building. And Senate President John Cullerton pushed for Flavored Tobacco Ban Act, uh, which would ban flavored nicotine products, uh, not just tobacco, uh, including cigarettes, uh, electronic vaping pods, I think chewing tobacco. He says he might be able to call it next week in veto session. Do you have anything to add on those bills? Um, Other than uh, Link's argument has been um, you know, th- this is, uh, you know, we already passed the Smoke Free Illinois Act. It's already illegal to uh, smoke combustible uh, tobacco in, in an indoor building. Why don't we go ahead and do the same thing for vaping um, as a matter of public courtesy, as a matter of public health? The arguments against it have been, uh, you know, you can't loop vaping in with traditional cigarettes. We're just simply not the same thing. And we're, you know, then there's that constant claim about, you know, tobacco cessation being the key of things like vaping. Um, So they don't really think it's fair to be uh, looped in with a public indoor ban. Um, And the flavored tobacco ban uh, arguments against that have just simply been, you know, it's not the flavors necessarily that are causing um, things like these vaping-related lung illnesses that we've heard about in the past. We should be looking more into the black market, and if you ban flavors, then you will drive these people underground. Right. The, 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 to the extent that those uh, arguments hold water, we'll see, but there is already a lot of support between both uh, State Senator Terry Link and Senate President John Cullerton's bills. 
Uh, and there's also been rumors and Colorton said he would consider taking tobacco out of it and have it just apply to vapes. So we're just going to hit quickly on a couple other issues here that have moved um, a pension consolidation bill, which would combine essentially 650 downstate fire and police pensions uh, plans into one or two. Um, that was introduced. Changes to it could come next week. In one day, you could basically get a bill passed through both chambers in the, in the state house. So look for quick movement on that. Um, Chicago Sam, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot asked for a couple proposals in her budget. Um, one of them would be allowing for a graduated real estate transfer tax that she's banking on for $50 million. That's looking like it might be dead in the water, isn't it? Yeah, um, both of these proposals, by the way, the the, um, the graduated real estate transfer tax uh, and the um, the change in the tax uh, for the Chicago uh, casino um, seem to be hitting some uh, roadblocks uh, right. as we're coming on. A little bit more optimism, it seems, for the Slightly, Chicago one or the casino one, rather. Yeah, because of the fact that you know both the state and uh, the city of Chicago would benefit, but from changing the tax structure because it's it's so clearly at least according to uh, the report from um, a gaming analytics company, that uh, the tax structure would be just so um, abhorrent to any business that comes in, it would, it would be difficult to attract them. So changing and that law would be a simple way to, to get a business in. And they need that money for the vertical infrastructure plan for university buildings, state police buildings, and whatnot. They're banking on some of that money from that casino. Right. The state is, that is. And, and in the past, you know, Laura, uh, Mayor Lori Lordfoot has kind of shown her uh, amateurism in kind of thinking and relying a little bit more on the state to help solve what are truly local Chicago issues. And Governor J.B. Pritzker has had to come in in the past and say, you know, well, no, that's not really how it works in Springfield. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, also in Chicago news, the teachers uh, strike that's been going on for 11 days there has ended. Um, and the legislature said they would consider creating an elected Chicago school board uh, in the spring. So moving on, uh, Senator Sue Rezin was the only one that really signified that she would try to override one of the governor's eight vetoes, and she made that effort this week on a measure that would have prevented the governor from unilaterally applying for waivers to the Affordable Care Act for some state employee health insurance benefits. If the veto was overridden, he would have had to ask the legislator's approval to make those waivers, but he was not overridden. That has failed, and it's looking like the governor will end his first year without being overridden on any vetoes. So there are three other bills that he will have to consider signing after this week. Uh, Representative Nick Smith passed a bill that had already passed the Senate that would allow students two hours to leave school to vote in the state. Uh, Representative Mark Batnick from Plainfield, he said that's basically coddling students and they have a lot of time to vote otherwise. Representative Carol Ammons passed a bill uh, that lifts license suspensions for unpaid parking tickets, toll violations, theft of motor fuel tax, and a couple other things. Uh, the Secretary of State was supportive of this. She called it a draconian way uh, to collect unpaid money. Of course, the tickets will still have to be paid, but you can't lose your license for not paying them. So other than that, clean energy advocates argued for the Clean Energy Jobs Act. Sam and I both covered that rally. Did we learn anything at that, or was it just people trying to 
move a bill that's sort of dead in the legislative process right now. That's what it struck me as. I mean, I didn't necessarily learn anything new from the speakers. I mean, everybody uh, that is on this bill, you're talking about people like the Sierra Club, um, other green energy advocates throughout the state. There was somebody from uh, the Metro East, then a number of people from Chicago. Uh, They're focused on the general aims of this bill uh, to get uh, Illinois on a more aggressive renewable energy timeline. But as you've said, it's it's, not, it's stalled right now because there's just a number of other things that the legislature and Governor J.B. Pritzker are thinking about at the moment. I would imagine that something like this would come up next session once January comes around, but we'll have to see. Yeah, and as we mentioned, the investigations which involve ComEd, by right. all means, uh, making any energy-related policy a hot potato at this time. Anyway, thanks for coming on, Sam. That's it for this week's edition of Capital Cast, a regular production of Capital News Illinois. You can find... All of our articles and more at CapitalNewsIllinois.com. And that's Sam Dunclaw from NPR Illinois. A lot of good news content there as well. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Jerry.